0: It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit Ellerslie.com. So this is uh, session seven in uh, my series called Spiritual Lessons from Abe Lincoln's America. And I know some of you are like, hey, how come we don't talk that much about Abe Lincoln? It's not sp- supposed to be just on Abe Lincoln as much as it's on the time period in which he was coming into the presidency, which is very, very important. But I have given some, you know, some head nods uh, towards Abe Lincoln. But uh, this one is going to be a very interesting study. On the time period. It's called the antebellum period, which is the period of 1815 to 1861 typically is how it's understood. But it's what leads to the war. So antebellum means before the war. And it's basically that which is going to create the catastrophe, the, the sharp division in our country. And this is one of the issues, and it actually came from a book and There was a certain medical study back uh, then in the uh, in that antebellum period that was treated with uh, great clout and it, it had great weight and ironically, today most people would just call it you know a quax. Medical position, if anyone ever held to it, but it's interesting how commonplace it was back then. And it did play into how the church uh, approached these issues, it played into how the politics uh, played out. And so that's why it's important for us to understand. But this one's called Predefined a Slave. Now, it's interesting because when you ever use a word like predefined, it's very uh, oppressive. And yet, so much of our life is based around predefinitions of things that come upon us where we have things spoken over us. This is the way you are. You're stupid. You're ugly. And when you get a predefinition, it is very difficult to climb out of it. And at this time, the African-American had a predefinition upon them, that they were actually more suitable as a slave, that God intended them to be slaves. Even their entire nature seems to exhibit that. Well, could you imagine growing up with that mentality? It's very difficult to break out of any type of predefinition, anything that actually uh, causes us to feel like there is no hope or there's no other way to do something, but to be defined as a slave. What an interesting thing, especially when you begin to think about that spiritually. So predefined a slave. So the, uh, the study at the time was called phrenology. And I, I have a brief description of phrenology. I don't know if this will help you, but it's from the Collins Dictionary of Medicine. A theory taken seriously for a time in the 18th and 19th centuries, that human characteristics were reflected in the relative growth of parts of the brain, and that these could be detected by palpitation of the skull bumps, which, it was claimed, conformed to the shape of the brain. Like I said, I don't know if that's going to help you. But phrenology, in a sense, was this study of uh, the human body to say, well, this is who you are. I can tell by how your brain uh, is laid out or how, you know, you physically function. I can say all sorts of things about you. Uh, And so it was like you were defined by your biology or your nature. So this is the book. It was called Hereditary Descent. And it was written by a guy named Orson S. Fowler in 1843. Now, remember, the Civil War is going to uh, occur in 1861. And so, so much of this is going to play into the mindsets and the breakdown of the culture. Because this is going to bring up certain questions. And we'll call it the debate over human behavior. Nature versus Nurture. This is like if you were to be in a debate back then, you know, it wasn't about vaccines and the the things that we have today, or homosexuality and, you know, uh, civil rights issues that we have today. It was over the issue of nature versus nurture. Are you a product of your nature and you don't really have any choice uh, in the matter? You just sort of popped out of the womb this way, you know, you are a, you know, a, you know a Smith or a Jones and Smiths are always this way and Joneses are always this way. Or are you a result of your nurture? It doesn't matter if you're a Smith or a Jones. If you grow up in the, you know, the, the, the Thompson family, well, then the Thompsons always turn out this way. So it doesn't matter if you were born a Smith or a Jones. If you grew up a Thompson, well, then you totally behave like a Thompson. And th- believe it or not, this is a huge debate issue, and this was a huge thing. And it is probably a big issue to you, too. You just may not think about it in the same way or have the same terminology that they had. So are we a product of our ancestors? Are we a product of our culture? Are we a product of both? And so you had all camps on this one. You had certain people that were so convinced that your DNA, I don't know that they used the term DNA back then, but your uh, ancestry defined you. And so whether you wanted to be someone different or not, you couldn't. You were just sort of stuck in the the Smith, the Jones, or the uh, the Thompson package. And as a result, whether you wanted to change or not, you just sort of were that. And then you had the other side, which is, no, 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 no. You are totally a product of your culture. And so depending on the time period in which you, you pop out of the womb is going to define who you are, depending on the family you grow up in. And so if you were to swap kids, you're going to notice that the kids are going to behave very differently. It's not a DNA thing or an ancestry thing. It's a culture thing. And of course, you had the third party, which is going to debate and say, no, no, it's a combination of both. We start with a certain package, but then it can be influenced, okay? So I'm sure you have your opinion too, even as I'm bringing that up. But the reason I'm lifting this to the surface is because this is a debate that for whatever reason always makes its way into culture, not just culture, but the church as well. The church Is almost always in discussion over similar things like this. And it can be a huge distraction and not a help. However, there is a truth that undergirds all of this that can be a tremendous help if we grip it. So, uh, one of the things that this always brings to my mind, Les Miserables, uh, there's, you know, if, if you guys have seen Les Miserables, there's the character Jean Valjean. And Jean Valjean steals some bread and spends, you know, I don't know how many years in prison because of it in doing heavy labor. And once, in, in this culture, you have this character named Javert, sort of the police side. He's symbolic of the law. And he is going to make the declaration that basically, once a criminal, always a criminal. And as a result, he is going to encompass the entire idea and identity of Jean Valjean as a criminal because he stole bread. And for many of us, we have felt that same oppression over our life, that we have been defined and there is a Javert voice in our life that declares you cannot change. Now, even if I were to just bring up something in your life where you have resolved to overcome it, and you have discovered that no matter how hard you have tried, you have continued in that behavior that you detest. You don't even like the behavior, but you keep finding yourself returning to it. And you can hear that voice of Javert, even as you know I bring this up, and it's saying, once a criminal, always a criminal. This is just who you are. It's baked into your nature. And as a result, we have to grapple with this As believers, what is the truth? How does this work? How are we supposed to treat others? How do we understand ourselves? How did God design us? Predefined a slave. Is it in the nature? So look at what this book by Orson Fowler is going to say. Uh, And if if you happen to get offended by this, I don't blame you. Okay, This is uh, a very, very uncomfortable quote, uh, but it's basically going to show you how this book called Hereditary Descent was used to actually increase the virtue of slavery, as if it's a good thing to have slavery. So listen to this. Coarse hair correlates with coarse fibers in the brain and indicates coarse feelings, which suggests that people of African descent have poor verbal skills and traits best suited for nursing children or waiting on tables. So I don't know if you can feel the gravity of that, but what you have is science. This is, of course, you know, done by medical practitioners. It's a very uh, high-minded book, and it speaks the language that the South is wanting to reinforce at this time, which is the fact that you see this is actually the best thing we can do for the African descendants because they have coarse hair which means they have coarse fibers of the brain and therefore they're only really good for nursing babies and waiting on tables okay now that is so preposterously ridiculous and has been proven so thoroughly wrong over time however in antebellum america it's hanging there just like we have bad science today that just sort of lingers there and because it's so thoroughly given and so often delivered you begin to think it's true and the same thing was happening back then. We have ourselves bad science. So when people say, just listen to the science, well, listen to the true science, because this is, this is not true science. This is a bias. This is the superimposing of someone's worldview into the very issues of race. So we also had it towards the Jews at the time. So this is called anti-Semitic uh, commentary. Jewish people, according to the same author, are hereditarily acquisitive, deceitful, and destructive. All right. So how do you think that's going to help? That's going to promote anti-Semitism, just like, it's, just like the previous quote was going to promote slavery. Because, hey, you know this is just the way they are. We need to mitigate against this. These people are this way. Whether they like, to, want to be or not, they can't change. This is just who they are. You know, if you're of African descent, of course, this is the way you are. If you're of Jewish descent, this is the way you are. The moment you begin to conclude these thoughts, you begin to close in the room. You begin to tighten the chains on all of us because every single one of us has a disposition and every single one of us really wants to get out of that disposition. And, but according to this, there's really no escape. So are we predefined or do we have a hope for change? I'm calling that the big question. You see, you need to know the answer to that. Are you predefined? Is everything defined about you? And there's really no hope. I mean, you're going to end up you know, doing certain things whether you want to or not. It's all predestined. Or do you have a voice in this? Isn't that an interesting question? Because theologically, that's a huge one. It splits the church. Uh, people get so into that question. And yet, that's a big question, because if you end up saying that everything is predefined, it's interesting how it ends up locking in long-term problems. If there is no hope for change, well, you talk about a head-scratcher right there, and then what is this all about? Getting the biblical facts out on the table. Now this is sort of the cheater's rendition of going through a very, very detailed theological study. However, uh, you know, I'm still going to do it and we're gonna move through it quickly. I'm going to break it up into two types of news. The first one is the bad news, okay? And you're going to notice that there are certain things in this bad news that sound vaguely similar to uh, the fact that we are predefined a slave. So first off, your nature is off. And I'm not just talking to someone of African descent or Jewish descent. I'm talking to every single one of us. The Bible is going to be very clear that there's something off inside of us. There is a warping. There is a twisting. It is a result of something known as sin. A rebellion, a deceitfulness has entered into our heart and as a result of Adam's sin. And as a result, we are contorted when we even emerge from our mother's womb. Something is off. We are bent wrong. So as a result, all of us are in this condition of sin, which means instead of being focused rightly in our soul, we are supposed to be focused outward, supposed to be thinking about the glory of God, but something is contorted, and instead we're thinking about our own glory. We're thinking about our own selves, our own uh, satisfaction, and that is a warping. It's selfishness. It's called sin. And that warping actually disturbs our relationship with God so thoroughly that we are removed from his presence. And so as a result, we are destined, if you want to say it that way, when we are first born for hell, for eternal separation from God. This isn't good news. This is bad news. That's why I'm calling it bad news. We all have sinful proclivities, and these sinful proclivities are stronger than our resolve to escape them. Have you ever had that thought where it's just like, I don't want to live this way. I don't like this behavior, but my resolve to overcome it doesn't seem strong enough to overcome the proclivity itself. I seem to always end up doing it, which is what Paul is describing in Romans chapter 7. The things that he wants to do, he cannot do. The things he doesn't want to do, those he does. Oh, woe is Paul, but woe is all of us. Who can save us from this body of death, cries Paul. Now, there is an answer to that. It's thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, but I get ahead of myself. Of course, that's called the good news. But to understand the good news, you first need to understand the bad news. Now, here's an interesting point I have under the bad news. You are conformable, which means you are designed to change, but you can't change yourself. That's part of the bad news because you can resolve internally to say, I don't want to be like this anymore, but you can't get out. You see, there is a predefinition to who you are. The Bible even makes it clear. You are a sinner. You are a slave to sin. Well, that doesn't sound good. We're, are we stuck? And that's, this is so important in the overall message uh, that is coming through. In the antebellum period, they, they looked at the slave and they said, you will always be a slave. There's no hope. There's no way out. That isn't the message of the gospel. That isn't the message of the Bible. All of us are enslaved. But every single one of us has been given good news. And that is that we can be freed from our enslavement. We can actually be conformed, but not to the pattern of this world, but to the pattern of heaven. That we can change. That's the truth right there. This body, this body of Eric Ludi can alter. The nature of Eric Ludy can change. That there is hope and a future for the life of Eric Ludi. everyone else listening in. So here's the good news. God's nature is inclined toward your rescue. Isn't that an amazing thought? So yes, there's bad news. And yes, we're in pretty deep. But God is inclined towards our rescue. He has destroyed our old nature. He has crucified it. So every single thing that stands in the way of me changing, which is real, there is something that stands in the way, God has dealt with it. However, I need to turn to him so that what he has done on my behalf can be realized. His Holy Spirit is stronger than my sinful proclivities. So, even though my proclivity towards sin is very strong, his Holy Spirit that wants to move in and take over this body is stronger which means he desires to change me, to save me, and the work that he is doing in me is actually greater than the work that is against that change. So therefore, though there is a part of me that's like, ah, I don't know that I want to change, God's work is greater than that. And therefore, I have hope that that real world change can take place inside of my life. So just like I said in the bad news, we are designed for change. We are designed to conform. But not to the world. That's our tendency. But God wants us to conform into the image of his son. And he is able, oh, this is so good. Listen to this, guys. And he is able to transform us, wholly alter our behavior. That's our hope. You see, we are not just dependent upon our ancestry, that we are descendant from Adam. That does not define us we are actually to be grafted into the living God. By faith, we are grafted into a new lineage and our ancestry is of heaven. And so therefore, in a sense, we have a new DNA package made available to us that can alter the way we think, the way we speak, the way we act, so that our life isn't defined just by our grandparents and their grandparents, but by Jesus. Jesus is the key defining element to our life. The age-old debate, are we predefined or are we defined by choice? So if you get into the church theology on this, you could call it predestination, or all the way to the other extreme of Pelagianism, which Pelagianism would be, hey, it's up to us. We have the ability to make choices and to decide everything. And so, which one is it? Okay, this is the great debate that has divided the church, and it has harmed many, many souls as they get into this territory and they get confused. Very simple, okay? I I just wanna cut to the chase and I wanna make this a lot more simple. The simple answer, this is what I ask people. Do you want to be saved? Do you desire the nature of Christ? Do you desire to be elevated in your life? Yes. Well, do you know where that desire came from? It came from him. You see, he gave you that desire. The fact that you even desire to be saved comes from him. And if it came from him, I guarantee you, that he desires to save you. So he is not just desirous, but he is able to save. So if you have a desire to change, if you have a desire to be elevated and lifted out of your uh, pig stink, well, guess what? Your God is desirous to do it. He's already made that clear. He desires you. There is nothing more entombing than the idea of you are predefined a slave and God doesn't want to do anything to to set you free. You know oh you're one of the exceptions out there. You're one of the cursed ones. You're one of the ones fit for wrath. That is one of the most harmful things for the soul to ever try and digest. Because if you have a desire to be set free, it's because God desires to set you free. If you have a desire to change, it's because God wants to change you. That is what we hold on to. We hold on to his nature, his ability, his desire. He longs for us to be set free. So do you want to be saved? If so, it's because God is desirous to save you. There is great hope for your life starting today. So here is the, uh, I'm gonna call this the secret of Lincoln in his thinking. Now, I want to see if you can catch it. Slavery is not supposed to be a permanent condition. You see, th- when I say that, you could say, well, of course not, why, why? That, that's ridiculous. But you need to realize the time period in which this is happening. Slavery is a very common thing back in 1861. And Lincoln is going to conclude something. And that is, and as he studies the Word of God, he's going to realize that though we are all slaves, that slavery in God's economy is never intended to continue like that. That God desires to set us free. And so, if that's the case, it's a principle of life not just for my own soul spiritually, but for my own culture, my own, the the people, the citizens of this nation, that slavery, though it may be present now, must not continue. That that is the biblical mind towards someone enslaved, that God always gives a hope and a future. And this is going to change and impact Lincoln. So here we are, Romans 6, 17 through 18. I, I shortened it down just to make a very simple statement. You were slaves of sin. You were delivered. What an amazing statement. And this is going to be a bedrock point of the entire leadership of Lincoln through the Civil War. That he is going to understand that just as spiritually, you're going to see that we were slaves, but that changed The work of grace in any life, in any family, in any culture, is to set people free, not to enslave them. And so if God's grace is at work in this country, then may the effects of that be people being set free. So let's go through the leadership secrets of Lincoln that we've covered so far in the series. Number one, draw loving lines, not hard lines. Number two, approach the nasty stuff like a Quaker. Number three, never ever send the first draft. Number four, listen like everyone in the room is smarter than you. Number five, bust through the cultural blind spots. Number six, inspire a Clapham sect in your living room. And today's slavery is not supposed to be a permanent condition. So remember that for your own soul. If you sense that you are enslaved to sin, guess what? You have a deliverer, one who wants to emancipate you, one who wants to deliver you from that slave-holding condition to be set free, to be delivered unto a new life, a new way of living, a new way of thinking. It's called the gospel, and it works. Father, I pray that we, each of us, would just freshly relish the fact that you change our condition that we are not just defined by our ancestry. We are not just defined by the culture in which we grew up. We are defined by your Holy Spirit. We are defined by the work of Jesus Christ, that you want to conform us into the image of the dear Son, that this is what you desire to do in every single one of us. And Lord Jesus, if there's slavery in our life, I pray that you would set us free from it. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.